Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. Oh my goodness. Even in my story, I sit and read it sometimes and I just think, gosh, what was I thinking? But you know, the lessons we've learned, I wouldn't give up any of them, even though a lot of them were really difficult. It's taken me to where I am now and now I can help people. Hey guys, this is Stacy Brookman and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience the only podcast that connects you with the world's best resources for becoming a resilient person. Our guest today is a woman who has a heart for teens. As a teen herself, she experienced abuse and trauma, but she has moved past her story to help herself and others. So if you're interested in finding out how, then stay tuned. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. It's never too late to begin telling your story. You've probably experienced some interesting or tough life stories that need to be written and shared with the world. Great story writing skills can be learned, and certain elements can turn any writing into a fascinating read. Whether you're just discovering your story or looking to publish soon, we've got the tools for you. Download the free periodic table of life storytelling elements and boost your storytelling IQ. Get your free copy today at stacybrookman.com slash elements. I love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. Now let's welcome Jennifer Lynn McGraw. Our guest today is a registered nurse certified in maternal newborn, as well as a certified diabetes educator and nutritionist. She has spent many years in health education and helping young adults manage their diets and exercise. Her goal is to help adolescents learn how to change their thought patterns, behaviors, and ultimately the direction of their life. She teaches them how to create a window where positive energy replaces the negative and fills them with a sense of well-being. Welcome, Jennifer Lynn McGraw. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I gave a little bit of background about yourself, but I know you've also written a couple of books. So give us a little bit more background on yourself. Okay, first of all, I'd like to tell the listeners that I, you know, I don't consider myself an author and I, and I never have. It's not what I do. What I do, you know, is a, I'm a health educator and a nurse. You know, I've had some trials and tribulations as we all have in our life and I'm a, an abuse survivor. And I just found it very helpful to write things down in journal. And that's how I got started in writing a book. So my first book was my story. It's called Changing Lanes from Hell to Heaven. But interesting enough, I used a pen name with that story. And you know what? I decided that that wasn't what I really wanted to do. So I pulled that one off Amazon and I'm I'm rewriting it, but I'm using my real name. Wow. So you say you're an abuse survivor. And is that difficult to say that you're an abuse survivor? Yes and no. You know, there's, I feel like it's the yin and the yang. You know, there's still, you know, um, what is it, a negative connotation with abuse and there's some shame still involved in it. It's not, it's not at the surface anymore and it's not something I think about every day, but yeah, it's, it's hard to say, but yet I'm an adult now. So I know, you know, I've moved on in my life and I'm a productive adult and all those kind of things, but I'm sorry, that's how it had to be. Exactly. 
And so your book is called Changing Lanes from Hell to Heaven, correct? That was the first one. And so the one that's coming out soon, uh, next month, is called Navigate with Soul. Navigate with Soul. Okay, so it's the same book, you're just rewriting it. Yes, put it in another title and have just reformatted it a bit, and it's but it's the same story. Okay, well, tell us a little bit more about your story. Well, the reason that I want to share my story, it's about abuse survival, but it's not, it could be about anything. It doesn't have, it could be any difficult or challenge that um, you have in your life. The point I wanted to make to readers and to other people is that, okay, this is what happened to me. Here's my story. So now what do I do? How do I move forward in my life? Can you help me? Can you give me some tools to help me navigate forward with, with a purpose? And that's what I wanted to do with my book is just say, okay, here's my story. And I give, I try to give the reader some tools on how they can move forward, create self-esteem to learn how to forgive. And then ultimately, how can they change the world by doing that? Wow. Now you do this really also with teens, correct? I do. I'm drawn to that group for some reason. And I think it's because during my teenage years is when all of the abuse was occurring. So I really can relate to that group when how I felt and the shame and the low self-esteem and, you know, not feeling loved or wanted. So I really connect well with that group. And that's that's where I just naturally fit in and, and connect with them. Well, tell me the moment that you decided to write about your life. You say you don't consider yourself a writer. You didn't consider yourself a writer, although now you are a published writer. Tell, tell me that moment in time when you said, you know what? I'm going to write about this. Well, the moment in time that I decided that I'm going to write about this was really when my younger son graduated college. I had been writing and journaling for 10 years. Really, this was a story in the making after 10 years. And it was after he graduated college that I thought that this was a good time to tell my story. Now my kids are older. It's adult material, some of it. You know, I, I don't want to be ashamed anymore of the lo- of my life. And that's when I, you know, decided that when my kids became adults that I could finally tell my story. Wow. Did you learn about yourself while you were writing this book? Oh, absolutely. I mean, gosh, it, it's just so cathartic. You can't even imagine until you do it that, you know, you can start seeing your, your the patterns both negative and positive of your behavior and just your character and, you know, the choices you've made and and your career. And, oh my gosh, you can just, you can just see it all on paper and make a map almost. It looks different from hindsight than it does while you're in the throes of it, right? Oh my goodness. You know, I, even in my story, I sit and read it sometimes, or I'm editing a part of it. And I just think, gosh, what was I thinking? So But, you know, the lessons we've learned, I wouldn't give up any of them, even though a lot of them were really difficult because it's taken me to where I am now. And, you know, now I can help people. Right. So what would your suggestion be for somebody who also may have experienced abuse and, um, you know, perhaps, you know, they might be thinking about writing. I mean, you know, were you afraid to write about the abuse? I was because you're always afraid. Whose toes are you going to step on? Of course, you're worried about everybody else. How is everybody else going to feel? Um, how is, how am I, is my family going to feel? 
once this is out in public, you know, you're worried about what everyone else is, how they're going to think or feel. All I'm going to say is when I pushed the button and, and sent my manuscript into the publisher, I, I felt like this doom over me because I was really afraid of the repercussions that I was going to get from my family. And, um, but I don't know. I just, after a while, I just said, you know, the, that's, that's exactly why I'm writing this. It's the victims always are the ones that are silenced or that remain silent. And what happened to me was wrong. And I want to be a voice for those who feel like they can't express themselves or they can't speak up if something's been wrong. Right. So how would, how would you recommend someone start writing about a difficult time in their life, such as abuse or, or, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of difficulties. Yeah. I mean, medical diagnoses, you know, all financial, I mean, anything, my suggestion for, for starting and writing, you know, just starting your thoughts number like one, two, three, four, five, I numbered one to 10 and I just kind of outlined, like pretended like those would be my 10 chapters. And what are the 10 things that I'd like to talk about? And then I just wrote a line in the beginning, you know, I grew up putting it down on paper in a very skeleton outline. And then you go back and you start adding to it. What are your thoughts during that time about that for number one? And before you know it, you have, you know, five sentences, a paragraph, and then a page. Okay. Then put that away. Now go to the second statement. What are your thoughts during that time, that period of time, or what was going on at that point? That's what I did. I took each little segment didn't seem as so overwhelming. And I wrote about how I was feeling and what was happening during each of those, that time. Now, how long after the abuse happened, did you start to write about it? I was an mm-hmm. adult and, um, I'm going to say, let's see, 10 years ago in 2005, I started writing about it. And so I'm 54. So it was, it was a while, you know, I, I waited, you know, till my son graduated college, the last one. And so I don't know. About 10 years ago, I started. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And so, and how long did it take you to write? How long did it take me to write is it difficult for me to answer because I've had to redo it with editors and coaches for so, so long that originally it took me a year to write. You know, on my day off from work, I would just sit and write and do nothing but write. But perfecting it and, you know, formatting it and learning the process of publishing on my own uh, took a long time, you know, right. another year. To get that uh, that done. And so you have a little snippet to read to us from your book, right? Uh-huh. Okay. You want to read that for us? Sure. I consider the need for love, the third tier of Maslow's pyramid, to be the most basic survival tool for any human being, after food and shelter, of course. Without love, our seeds will never grow and the flowers will never blossom. I believe there are two distinct types of love that are needed to sow our seeds. Human love is the first. I believe it is conveyed through the kind interactions and gestures that are generated amongst and between human beings. These can be simple random acts of kindness towards strangers or helping friends and family during a time of need. This kind of love is very evident when there's a community world catastrophe like an earthquake or tsunami. People from all over the world demonstrating a basic human desire to want to help in some way, big or small. The second type of love is humane love. The distinction that I see between humane love and human love is that humane love affects a a human being at the core. Not everyone has the capacity to share humane love, and certainly not everyone has the capacity to receive it. Humane love is critical for each human being to develop and advance to the highest two tiers of Maslow's hierarchy. Humane love, by definition, is merciful love. This is the most intimate 
kind of love that any human being can experience or feel. It is so deep that it can nurture a soul out of the pits of hell. It is a love that is sympathetic, empathetic, compassionate, understanding, and forgiving. It is a love that douses our soul when we no longer have the will to live. That is fascinating. That's fascinating. And you've discovered that, right? Correct. What prompted this whole paragraph here is, and it's kind of in the summary of my book, is that that's what I felt, feel like was a missing link in my childhood, living through all of this abuse, was that there was no one to extend humane love to me and my sisters. Kindness, you know, uh, plain old kindness from my parents. It was just not something that I was accustomed to. And so it was difficult for me to accept love and to actually give love because no one ever taught me how. That that was a powerful message, I thought, in conclusion that I came to. Right. And tell me, did you ultimately learn how to love? You know, I ultimately learned how to love, but it has taken a lifetime this far. You know, it, it's still hard for me to accept other people's kindness. So another point in my book was just how powerful it is or how important it is to how we raise our children and the environment we raise them in to teach them to be adults that are healthy, adaptable in society, can give love, express love, create love. You know, not everyone can do that. Right. It's it's difficult. And now you, you told me that you share your struggle and life dis- disappointments because you want it to motivate individuals to stop hiding behind their story and start living the life they were meant to live. Right. You know, one of my favorite quotes in my book is that we can give it all we have and finish the race in life, or we can just stay behind that barricaded and the barricade lane in life. and, And you just never know what could have been because you're too afraid to go out and take a risk and see what your potential could have been. And until we're ready to break through that barrier and are willing to and step outside the box and just feel uncomfortable and it's just out of my comfort zone. But so what? Sometimes we just have to do that to move forward. And I had to do that. How, how did you do that? How did you break out? I started, um, you know, participating in going out socially even or, or at calling someone and saying, oh, would you like to meet me for lunch? Just things that I normally wouldn't have done socially. I started to slowly let myself be vulnerable to having a close friend to just anything that had to do with personal relationships I wasn't very good at and I wasn't willing to get close to anyone because you're so afraid that they're going to hurt you. So building trust and relationships and friendships take takes a lot of baby steps. You have to start building trust again for people. Right. And how do you help young people do that? It's very interesting that, that you ask me that because I have found a way to incorporate my health being a nurse into helping younger the younger generation elevate their self-esteem. And to me, if you if we elevate their self-esteem and we empower them and keep telling them that they're they're good at something and that they're going to be something, they can be anything they want, I think that's how we're gonna make success the next generation successful. So right. so anyway, I think what I do is I do it now too as I in the after-school programs in the public schools here, the sixth graders, I teach them health and wellness. So I always believe it starts with how you feel. So let's take care of our body. What are we eating? How are we exercising? So diet and exercise, I 
I do a lot of that. So that incorporates into this whole picture I'm trying to talk to them about. I encourage them to volunteer or, or to mentor someone that is that needs mentoring, someone even younger than they are. Because mentoring lifts us up because they the other person needs us or our skill. Um, right. And if it's not a young person, I you know maybe it's a college person that I'm speaking with. They can volunteer their time to somebody else that needs help. So those are the things. And then of course, taking care of our mental health and also our spiritual health and spiritual growth is important. And I think all of those things help to empower the young and help elevate their self esteem. Absolutely, and that self esteem is so important because. Low self-esteem leads to really poor choices. Right. Those are great ideas to help lift the self-esteem of a teen or a young person. I know there's a lot of volunteer opportunities here in in my area, even at animal shelters. They do. They want volunteers. And even if you're... They need them. Yes. If you're walking the dogs or playing with them and the animals and bathing them, whatever it is. You know what else I always give an example for, for people, the college kids or the young teens that can drive, you know how many, our population is full of elderly people right? that maybe could use some company. They could use you to help them pick up their mail, take them to the grocery store. I mean, there's so many things that we can do that don't cost anything. Absolutely. And then the neat thing would be is if they write about that, it helps them to reflect on what they did, on how they felt right. about it. So that's in could be a, a huge area of growth for anyone. Right. Very neat. What what is your best wellness habit? My best wellness habit is taking care of our physical body and just kind of getting through each day is very e- for me is easy. You know, you don't have to think about a lot. You just run, you know, on autopilot. But taking care of your your spiritual and your mental, your psychological well-being takes a little bit of effort, in my opinion. And it doesn't have to be religious, but what do you do for your spiritual growth? I mean, mind, body, and spirit, we can't, there's not really a good way to dissect them. They all three fit together. Right. So we have to take care and nurture and grow all three of them. And so I meditate. I try to keep my mind, mental health intact, you know, by reading. And if I need to talk to a counselor, I'll go talk to a counselor. I don't, I don't deny myself anymore the truth. You know, if I feel, if I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling depressed. And, you know, I ask for help or ask to talk to someone or I seek out a friend or family member. And um, so it's just acknowledging that we're, we need help or that we need to take care of ourselves, all, all of ourselves. And do you find there's a, a myth that people have about wellness? I think that is it, that we only need to just take care of our physical and put our clothes on and our earrings and go to work. But there's so many deeper layers to who we are. And how do we keep though? How do we continually replenish our our well being and our spirit? And I think that's a key for me is to meditate. That's what I choose to do, and that's kind of my form of spirituality. And then my mental health to me is just decreasing the stress and really just picking and choosing what I I want to be a part of or who the people I want to be a part of my life, and just choosing to associate you know, be a part of activities in my life and the rest I don't bother with anymore because I don't need to. Do you find that there are some people who, you know, they just don't feel good enough about themselves to take care of themselves? Oh, I, yes, absolutely. What would you say to that? I mean, how do you get out of that cycle? 
Well, I was one of them. There, you know, one of my blogs actually was about depression. You know, usually depression is associated with not feeling good about yourself and negative self-talk. And that's how you see yourself. So that's how you reflect out to the world. You know, you sit in the back, you don't come dressed your best. It's because you don't think too much of yourself. I was there. I would suggest that if it lasts more than three weeks, that it can be a chronic depression and that you may need professional help. You know, acknowledging that is the first step. Right. So if you find yourself where at a point where you don't want to take care of yourself, you don't feel like you're worth taking care of, that's a good sign that you need to ask someone for help. Correct. Very interesting. So now that you've written a book and you're rewriting it, what advice would you give to someone who doesn't know what you know about writing? It is well worth your money and your your money to hire a professional editor because I had learned the hard way and I tried to do it myself and teach myself, but I spent twice as much time and twice as much money to get to the same point in the end. And I just couldn't do without the expertise that a professional editor provided me. That would be my suggestion because you really have to have someone who knows how to format and knows the publishing world. And um, there are a lot of strategic things, you know, placing and formatting that I did not know. And, you know, I tried to do myself. And then in the end, I had to pay someone to do it again. (laughs) So it's not like your typical Word document, right? It's much more complicated than that. There's just rules, you know, the margins and the indentations and, you know, the the spine. And if you can, you know, teach yourself that, more power to you. But it was a little complicated for me. Right. And then where did you find your editor? Just word of mouth. And it's someone, a marketing, social marketing expert that I had been using for my website and social media had referred me to someone that she knew. So it was really just by someone who knows someone who knows someone. But there's, you know, you could Google, um, you know, manuscript editing and, oh my gosh, I'm sure you'll get all kinds of people that pop up. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So finally, tell me what your biggest strength as a wellness professional is. My biggest strength as a wellness professional is really just how long I've been doing it. I've been doing it for 30 years. So, you know, I've learned a lot and I bring a lot and I, I want to share it. And, and I want to encourage people to live a healthier life. I want to empower the youth to live their best and really everyone to live their best. So my knowledge and, and my willingness to want to just share it to help other people better their lives is probably my biggest strength. Well, thank you for writing your book and, and putting that out there for us to learn from and, and read and for helping all of us want to better ourselves. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I hope that you know the right people that need to hear and be encouraged will. Excellent. And you have a giveaway. You have five copies of your book yes. to folks who want to subscribe. So you, if you go to Jennifer's website, it's Jennifer Lynn McGraw, M-C-G-R-A-W dot net. Correct. Correct. Yep. And we will put that in the show notes and you've got a beautiful pictures there and quotes And what we'll do is we will put this in the show notes and the first five people who sign up will receive your book. Absolutely. Can't wait. Fabulous. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. This has been great and I certainly appreciate your information. Okay, no problem. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. Jennifer mentioned that she wanted to be a voice or a champion for those who feel like they can't express themselves or speak up about abuse. 
She herself was afraid of the repercussions from her family. Victims are the ones who remain silent. I would like to encourage anyone who has been a victim, whether it's been from abuse or some other life event, to start writing it down. Writing helps you get it out of your head, find words for what's happened to you, and it helps you gain power over those thoughts and that event rather than letting it have power over you. You never have to share it with anyone at all. It's incredibly healthy and even life-changing to write about those tough times. It can be personal, just for you. Just start with 10 minutes a day in a journal and see where that takes you. That's all we have for today. Last episode, Louisa Kasha shared some great strategies for raising children to be resilient. So if you need to help your children become more resilient, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Melissa Pierce, who became a widow and a single parent overnight. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on YouTube, Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. Before you go, don't forget, go download that periodic table of important life storytelling elements. It lists 42 elements to enrich your life stories and make them easier to write. Download it for free at stacybrookman.com elements. Oh, one more thing. We're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day is Boy, Tales of Childhood, written in 1984 by Roald Dahl. Throughout his young days at school and just afterwards, a number of things happened to Dahl, which made such a tremendous impression he never forgot them. This is the remarkable story of his childhood. Tales of exciting and strange things, some funny, some frightening, and all true. It describes his life in Britain, from birth until leaving school, and how his childhood experiences led him to writing as a career. Check out Boy, Tales of Childhood and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100 memoirs. And always remember, life is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours.